You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church. And you're just moments away listening to a sermon exhortation, and I'm so stoked to be able to do that and to go along this journey with you. Now, our God on high, He still lives and He rules and He reigns all over the place, and the primary way that we see His heart towards us is in the text. And so when we say that we're about to listen to a sermon exhortation, we're saying we're about to have coffee with Jesus. That's awesome. Now, if you are not a believer or you're kind of questioning and trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, I'm so excited you're here. A couple here's some ground rules. Number one, you don't have to believe anything that we're talking about. You can be so comfortable to ask questions to anybody in our community about things that don't make sense to you. We are not afraid of the difficult conversations that come out of this text. And more importantly, I believe that as you keep leaning in with us, that you're going to see that God is real and that your life gets better. Let's do this, people, and let's go. Grace and peace. Oh, RCC, it's focus time. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're going to be in this beautiful text of the last chapter of this book in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series. It's titled Our Story, Moving into God's Story. I want to keep reminding you that this series is all about discovering who we are because of the great I Am. His name is God, Yahweh. He has many names, and because of our right relationship with Him, as chosen sons and daughters who are adopted by him, what does that now mean for our life? Like what's our purpose and what's our identity and what do we do in light of these new roles and positions that he's given us? Now, here, here, here's our aim in the Ephesians series, no matter even if you're coming in to this series for the first time. Okay, here it is. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you would consider yourself a mature Christian or you're just kind of a new wanderer, and you're a seeker to the faith and you're trying to figure out this this thing called Christianity, here, here's our aim and here's our, our prayerful hope. If you open your mind and you soften your heart to what God has to say in his Bible, right? These are the thoughts of God. And when you allow the thoughts of God to collide with your thoughts and you submit to them, it can lead to transformation in your life like you've never, ever thought could be possible before. Now, last week in our Ephesians series titled, uh, part 32, was titled, Children, Parents, and Their Spirit-Filled Responsibilities, Segment A. And it was the first half of this conversation we're going to be wrapping up today. And we learned that the home, which is defined by the the husband and the wife and, and the children, designed by God, right, that home, the biblical home, is greatly and massively under attack in today's culture. And we learned that because of that, there's been some deficits and some voids because of sin that's invaded the family home. We learned that Paul talks directly because of this in the book of Ephesians to children. Oh, that's, that's important to the, to the Tetrachus, right? That's the Greek translation for a young person that's kind of developing through adolescence that a parent is guarding and, and disciplining and instructing and raising to be independent and launched forward in life. And so, so, so the Bible talks 
talks directly to the te- the Tetrakis, the children of that age. The Bible's available to them too. We camped out on that, and that is very important truth. Well, then that children are called to obey their parents with God in the picture and Jesus, Jesus as the target and the and the example of that obedience. Well, then that Paul assumed that children were going to be in church with their parents, hearing the word of God preached faithfully forward by mere virtue that we're seeing in the text that he's directly talking to them. He doesn't tell the parents to tell the children. He says, children, go go do this. And the implications of that, folks, we talked about were, were very, very important. Therefore, we learn that we as parents have a great responsibility before God to help minister and disciple our children towards that end, namely bringing them with us and letting them kind of orientate and understand how to do this thing we call we call church. We, we, we learn that that doesn't mean that things like Sunday school and, and Bible clubs and, and, and children's ministries are not important. They, they are important, but they're to be a supplement to the experience that your child has at church, not, folks, a replacement. We learn that our parenting is to be founded radically on obedience as the foundation, not this new secular mentality of cooperation as the foundation. And we have to remember that because our obedience and our teaching of obedience is pointing our children to a very important type of relationship that ultimately we want them to have with their Heavenly Father, which is rooted foundationally in love and obedience. We learn that children are to honor their father and mother and not just to obey them. We talked about the difference between obedience and honor, and obedience is the activities that are coming out externally, and honor is what's happening on the inside that compels them to do the activities from the right place. We learn that whatever age your children are, you know, no matter if you heard last week's sermon, you're kind of feeling discouraged that you maybe missed the mark in raising your children onto the Lord, as we saw in the text, no matter how old they are, it's never, ever too late to get in the game. In some way, God has a redemption story, folks, for you and your child. And and finally, we learn that the book of Ephesians is primarily talking, and this is so important that we always hold this intention. It's, It's for the saints, and not the ain'ts, and that the young people who are walking with Jesus, but maybe their whole families are unbelievers, man, that that's a difficult road for them to walk through, because the book is talking to the saints, and they're walking as the only saint amongst others who may not be walking in that same manner, but that we said here at RCC that we're going to be ready to rally around these kind of young people who are who are doing this courageously difficult thing of being a believer by themselves when their families are not, and we're ready to stay step in and to help them through that journey. And that brings us to today, and I'm excited, part 33 of our Ephesians series titled Children, Parents, and Their Spirit-Filled Responsibilities, Segment B. And today is going to be all about teaching our children and reminding ourselves as well about the importance of obedience and honor in our relationships horizontally and most, most definitely when it comes to our vertical relationship with God and all of its in light of eternity. And and let's just all be honest, some of us still to this day have not matured yet to the point where we are moving beyond simply obeying God's commands. Because we have to, out of obligation or fear that we're going to end up in hell, or and we're not really moving the needle towards starting to operate in Christ with honor from our hearts because we see the value of that and we're compelled with our affections to want to. And let's just be honest, we we, kind of discovered that those ripple effects of obedience without 
honor, folks, it's, it's devastating. And if we don't work on that in our own hearts as parents, we're going we're gonna to pass that down to our children, and we, and we don't want that, right? So, so we all have a very important decision to make today, and it's going to be centered on the Word of God. Husbands and wives, parents and children, we all have to make a decision as we explore God's Word today about what we believe about this obedience and this honor thing. We all have to decide if we're going to hear God's Word today and respond with a glad, yes, Lord, or a hard, no to the God of the universe. We each need to decide in the various roles and the responsibilities that we've been given by God. Some of us are husbands and dads. Some of us are wives and mothers. Some of us are one. Some of us are single. We're widowed. We have roles. We have rules. We have responsibilities that God's given us. And are we going to move solely beyond? Are we going to stick on just this obedience thing? Or are we going to move the needle and start to do things with honor inwardly? And we got to move beyond obligation, folks and fear. And, and and that's because it's God's design, and we want to be in God's design, because he's painting, folks, a beautiful picture to the world. Now, I want to remind you that everything we talked about is Paul's instructions to the family unit that is radically submitted to Christ. So, so if you're a, per, a young person, I want you to remember this again, especially if you weren't here last week, and you have unbelieving parents, or, or you're a husband, or you're a wife, and your children are unbelievers, or, or, or maybe you're married to someone, and they're not a believer, but, but you are, there's going to be some complexity here in, in, in what God's saying, because there's an assumption that the family unit is submitted to Christ. But folks, even with the complexity, I, I assure you there's going to be some grace-filled hope for you if you're in that scenario as well. So, so find your part in your life and see how it collides in the book of Ephesians right here and, and, and pick up and do every aspect of what God's calling you to do in this text that you can and you obey God with all your heart. Reach out and talk to me or another pastor at RCC and let us kind of help you with your specific situation so you can walk faithfully with the story that you have. And I, pr- and I pray and I promise when you do that God gets gets active in what's missing in your home and, and, and things get really legit. Okay, okay, so with that being said, we're going to read God's Word now, you amazing student learners. I know you're ready for this, and it's going to be so amazing and so redemptive. And I'm, and I'm going to present some key elements right now from, from the chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 in an abbreviated form. We've seen that text, so I'm going to show you those verses in an abbreviated form so we can hold that intention, and then we're going to look at the full and the uninterrupted first four verses of chapter 6 again verses 1 through 4. And, and, and last week, we really camped out on verses 1 and 2, and we kind of broke those things down, and we filleted them open. And now we're going to focus our time on verses 3 and verses 4, and we're going to see all that God has for us. Okay, so, so let's do this, and let's read, God's, let's read God's Word. Here we go. Verse 18 through 20, 33, abbreviated. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself 
up for her. Okay, so that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the hope of what Paul is communicating as he's inspired by God in those 10 verses, right? Okay, now let's look at the uninterrupted full text of verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. Here we go, verse 1. Children, touch a kiss. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. Oh, we talked about that. That's legit. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Oh, man, this is God's precious word. Let's let's pray and let's see what God has for us today. Abba Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would continue to grow and mature into the people of God that you've called us to be, that parents would submit in the areas that they need to, that, that children would submit in the areas that they need to, that marriages would submit in the areas they need to, that family units would submit in the areas they need to, and that we would all do this from a place of joy and power, not obligation and deficits. I I pray in Jesus' name for the moms and the dads, but especially for the dads, that these men would feel the, the rightful weight of responsibility that is put upon them by you, God in scripture. Moreover, I pray because we are spirit-filled that we would rise to the biblical occasion of godly reasoning that, God, you are laying out in the text regarding what is wrong and right for our lives, that we would step out onto the difficult water and do that which we thought we couldn't do in our parenting and that which we didn't want to do in our parenting in the first place because we're living in light of eternity, God. We're, we're living towards the final destination of returning back to you as our Father. So, so I pray that you would change us, Lord, inside out transformation. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, okay, so, so this inward honoring the Lord with your heart thing is very important for all of us to get on board with isn't it? We, we talked about that a lot, a lot last week. It's our growth-enhancing vehicle that drives us towards glorifying God and ultimately maturing in Christ as believers. And, and that's why it's such an important concept for, for us as parents to teach and to train our children to do. Because once our children truly learn, I mean deeply learn in their heart how to honor you as their parents, and then they learn how to do that with God, and then later with other people and eventually even even smaller things like commitments professionally and relationally when when they when they do what they're doing from a place of honor in their heart when it, that means it's genuine things just get legit in their relationships in their marriages in their friendship circles and ultimately with God things get legit in the earth realm but folks things get really legit in the spiritual realm with your children's relationship and joy in Christ but, but let me be clear, the foundation for all of this to work, it starts, folks, right here with your children learning how to honor you as their parents. And that comes with a beautiful 
beautiful promise. In fact, let, let, me, let me show you about this, this promise right now in the text as we pick up immediately in verse, in verse 3 because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture to the Tetricus, to the young people that are growing up in Christ, submitting to their spirit-filled parents from a place of honor, what can happen if they keep operating from the safety zone of obedience and combining that with mature and activated honor. Oh man, it's legit. So, so young people listen in, parents listen in, and let's see this in the text, verse, verse three. Okay, so remember in verse one it said, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But then he goes deeper. We go up the ladder of faithfulness into verse two. Honor now, honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with the promise. Ready? Now, why? What's the, what, what happens as we, as we obey our parents? What, what happens when we, when, when we honor our father and mother? Verse 3. Oh, it's legit. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Oh, wow, young people, God's rules, God's ways, God's order, God's progress, God's design, God's direction. When you submit, do you see this? When you submit, things go well and you live long and joyful lives. What a beautiful picture and promise from the God of the universe. God saying, listen, God saying, I want you to live so well, and I want you to have such a long life, and I want you to be so content and so stoked for everything going on in your life, and I don't want you to get ripped away by the enemy. And so God says, so if you, young people, start obeying your godly, spirit-filled parents, and you start honoring them with your heart, hey, I'm going to offer you a promise for you to have long and a joyful life. And, and God says, I'm going to have your back forever. That, that, that's awesome. Young people, when you honor your parents and you obey them, it sets your whole life on a joyful trajectory of wellness and to be happy. That, that, that's serious. Oh, man. But even this promise of long life, before we get too excited, even this promise of long life is not supposed to terminate on itself. We got to keep learning that. Remember, it's marriage in light of eternity. Therefore, it's also family in light of eternity and young people. It's about being a child with a perspective that's aimed at eternity. Okay, so for us to, to see that, we're going to need to lay out some historical implications and we got to kind of understand some background information so that we can understand what this whole long life promise is going to be all about for you as a young person and even for your parents to know what God's heart is in that. You see, Back in the olden days of the Old Testament, when a child was regularly and consistently disobedient, I want you to know that the parents would and often did bring their children to the elders of that village or that, that town for discipline. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Back then, communities and villages and towns, they raised their children together in community. That's, that's very important. I wish we could talk about that more. We, there's, so much, there's so much there. Okay, so if a child continued, right? Young people, listen. So if you were in this society in the Old Testament, and you continued being disobedient, and you continued to fail to listen to your parents, your parents would make the decision to bring you to the elders of that town. And if they discerned and they deemed that you were being really naughty, and you were being really rebellious, rebellious in your behavior, the parent would hand you over to the authority of the elders of that town, and they would take you away outside of the town. Are you ready? And they would stone you 
with rocks to the point that you would die. Wow. Believe it or not, historically, the elders of the town had authority once the parents brought the children to them to stone children because of their, because of their disobedience to the point of death, which means the child would be killed, and it was done in order to preserve the order and the structure that was going on of their societies of that time. Okay, so, so holding that intention, we're now thinking of the Ten Commandments. So this promise from the Lord in the Ten Commandments, when it was given during that time, it was Filled and it was abounding with love and practical protection for the young people. Oh man, that's that's deep. Lean in. God gave this commandment, urging children to obey and to honor their parents so that they could literally have a longer life, folks, and their life wouldn't be cut short by being stoned to death by the authorities in that city or that village. So, so know this for the rest of your life. This is your takeaway. Know this for the rest of your life. Rather, it's the New Testament or the Old Testament. Every rule, every law, every command, and every urging from God, it's for our benefit, folks, and it's not for our bad. The foundation of every single why behind what God does is filled with benefits and good things that God has planned for his people, not for bad, even when it's hard, particularly in the Old Testament at times, for us to understand it or to see it. Now, now obviously things change in societies from that point in, in Genesis and Exodus, moving all the way to Revelation, right? Things transformed in cultures and societies. They matured and they evolved and they grew. But the implications, folks, of that verse, the Ten Commandments, the, the command, commandment number five, the implications are still totally true for us today. And that's this. God commands you children, young people, the Tetrakis, to honor your parents so that your lives are not cut short by your disobedience and by your arrogance and by your strife and your immaturity. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Okay. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. So, so to every young person that's listening right now to this sermon, God is saying to you, life this year, young person, put your name there, whatever your name is, life is going to go so much better for you this year if you obey your spirit-filled parents as they lead you on a godly pace towards the godly peace and the godly purpose that I have for your life. It's like God saying, but if you keep getting trapped up, young person, and you keep getting tripped up, young person, with disobedience and, and arrogance and the things of the dark, you're going to get your heart hurt. You're going to get your soul wounded. And sometimes you're going to hurt your actual body. And you're going to lose opportunities is what God's trying to get you to understand. Young people, listen, you're going to lose opportunities in your future. Things that you want to do when you're 25 and you're 30, you're going to get that stripped away from you. And sometimes you lose your whole life here on this planet if you don't stop being arrogant and disobedient and you don't submit to your spirit-filled parents who are trying to raise you unto the Lord. And then God is saying like this, and if I can't use you because you're disqualified in people's eyes because of your sin, 
Not him. God forgives, right? Fully and categorically. But people don't always forgive. Unbelievers don't always forgive the things you've done, young people. And so God's saying, if I can't use you because you've become disqualified by the people of your time, by the culture of your time, and, and, and even if you're alive, I can't use you, or if you're actually dead because of your sin, how are you going to accomplish the Matthew chapter 28 promise for you to go disciple all nations that I've prescribed for you? to do like like can't you see god is not only giving you and me a long life on earth so that it can terminate on ourselves for our pleasure and our enjoyment only but rather the long life that the god of the universe is promising here in the text to you as a young person is so that you can be ready and equipped to do the kingdom work that he set before you and to do it with joy not so you can just build one day a family mansion for your family Remember, this is not our permanent residency, folks. We're here temporary, temporary citizens heading home eventually to be with our Father. In fact, Scripture says the most beautiful gift given to us in this separated state that we have right now from God because of our sinful bodies, right? Like we're, we're reconciled to God because of the blood, but we're not fully there with him yet because we're still kind of trapped in these sinful bodies. So, so the greatest gift he gives us is something that happens after this life and after death. And, and this forever eternal existence happens when we are in eternity with him where there's no more separation at all. Therefore, if the full version of our relationship is not activated with God until we get to eternity, the goal would never be for us to have our lives extended forever and ever and and ever here in our sinful bodies in this present place that we call earth. Therefore, God did not, track with me, God did not literally mean that your obedience and your honor to your parents, young people, would always equal that you're going to live for 80 and 90 and 100 years. That's not what the text is saying. I can assure you after pastoring now for 15 years that, man, godly, Bible-saturated, I love Christ, what would Jesus do type of children, they die every day from cancer from terrible car accidents, and they were being raised also by godly parents. And, and I've seen the great pain in parents' heart by unfaithful preaching and sloppy people that are exhorting the Word of God around this, this text. Because and, and, they, and, and they're mourning their child's loss. They're saying, why didn't God fulfill His promise to my son? or to my daughter. So, so young people and parents, listen in. The commandment with the promise doesn't literally mean that because you do the right things and you submit and you obey, that you're somehow automatically guaranteed to live for 100 years. That's why it's so important for you as a young person and your parents to turn your spiritual eyes on, your Christ-centered headlights on, and start to see Scripture in light of eternity. See your life in light of eternity. See your marriage in light of eternity. See your family in light of eternity. If you think of anything and you forget the destination, you're going to get off, you're going to get off track. Because, because this verse is saying that when you obey and you honor your parent, you won't get in the way and you won't go out of your way to cut your life shorter than it needs to be 
because of your sin and your disobedience and your strife and your arrogance and things like that. That's the implications, folks, for us to really understand today in verse 3 from this historical moment in time in the Old Testament that is still ruling and reigning over our lives today. It's an important exhortation for the child, for the young person. Hey, it's about you being holy, fully set apart, for God, so that you can live a life that's not always weighed down by sin. Come on, there's some 17 and 18-year-olds listening in multiple state lines, and you know what I mean. There's some 24-year-olds, and you're filling the weight, and you're, you're saying, man, let me mentor one of these 14-year-olds and tell them that, that Pastor Brandon's telling the truth. Listen, young people, you can't proceed forward with your life that way. I want you to proceed forward with joy in the works of Christ. And it starts with submitting. So, so kids and teens that are listening, think of this command as a promise that your life will generally go better here on earth when you honor your godly parents because they are literally teaching you how to walk at a godly pace so that you can maintain your godly peace and you can live out a godly, joyful, I can't believe I get to do this purpose in life. And that sets you up to be so happy, to be so very happy. And oftentimes it does actually give you a longer life than you would have had if you had been tripped up in sin. Because the real story is that the family unit is painting a picture, folks, between our relationship with God as our Father and us as His children. We're always painting a picture. So when we obey the Lord and we honor Him, ready for this? Oh, I love this. So when we, all of us, adults, everybody, when we obey and we honor the Lord, we're not only going to live well with the joyful trajectory of our life here, but it sets us up to die well, folks. It sets you up to die well so that you don't have so much fear at the point of death and you're not filled with shame and regret of things you wish you would have done here while you were living and that helps you to transition into eternity with your heavenly father with no regrets okay so so here's our first big important takeaway it's it's on your screen when young people honor their parents with their heart, it sets their life up on a trajectory of wellness and joyful living. But the opportunity of wellness and a joyful life is not the end goal in and of itself, but the peace-filled opportunity to live unencumbered by sin and, and shame and superficial desires. This sets the young person up to be free as a glad worshiper of God through radical sacrifice within their lives. This is God's design. Okay, so, so remember, young people, every bit of your glad and your agreeable and your joyful, your authentic, honor-filled obedience that you're offering to your parents, it's an opportunity radically for you to demonstrate to the whole world of what it means to honor God as his children as well. What a crazy cool opportunity that God's given you. Like, so if you have a difficult kid parents or, or maybe you have a difficult grandchild grandparents in your life right now, hey, you have to really step in the game and step up and get involved and just start praying for them. Start, start teaching them because they have to learn obedience. And you as the parent or the grandparent, you got to learn how to be flexible and consistent and patient while having a firm 
guiding hand towards a life of obedience. Wives, hey, check in, wives, can't you see? You have to model this obedience and honor picture so that your children can understand it in how you're submitting to your husband. Because submission to your husband is a type of obedience to God. You've got to model that. How do your kids understand obedience that you're teaching them if they see in your life you can't do it with your husband? Hey, hey, husbands, you need to be modeling this obedience picture to your kids and how you're submitting to God and how you love your wife. How can your kids learn obedience about the things you say if you're not walking that out, fathers? Oh, man. And when things don't go right, hey, hey, this is important. When things don't go right and your kids act up, both the mom and the dad need to model the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God to your children all the time, just like your heavenly father, just like my heavenly father does when we fall short of the obedience and the submission target too, right? We do it all the time because you do realize that you and me, we struggle to be obedient and fully submissive to God all the time, right? Yes, you do. And so do I. And we can never forget that in our parenting. We can't walk around losing our patience when our children don't line up the way we want because they're not perfect in their obedience. Every day we fall short of being obedient to God, and he's radically patient and forgiving and ready to give us another opportunity. And we're supposed to model that to our children. Therefore, you have to look at your child with Christ-centered eyes and a Christ-filled heart of compassion and say to yourself, what does my little girl, what does my boy need from me? Not do this, do that. You're wrong, you're wrong. Uh-uh. What do they need from me so they can be the absolute best version of himself or herself? Take ownership, parents. Do not defer the blame. You have to get on their level with great tenderness and strength and confidence because of your spirit-filled position and say, what are you, what are you struggling with, son? What are you struggling with, my, my daughter? What's going on in your heart? Talk to them at the heart level. What's, 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 what's aggravating your soul? How can I help you to be more like Jesus? I don't like how you're acting. How can I help? I just want to help. I want to be, your, I want to be a partner here. And other times, out of that same Christ-centered loving position, you have to say, I love you way too much, son. And I love you way too much, daughter, to allow you to continue on this path. You are not your own. You belong to the God of the universe. You are not your own. You belong to the Rochelle family. And I cannot allow you to continue down on this path. So there's going to be a stripping away now of some privileges and some things that you've been, you've been given because I don't want you to become rotten from the inside out. And, and you keep loving them in those disciplinary moments. And you say, so I'm going to be doing some things, son. And I'm going to be saying some things, daughter. And I'm going to be removing some pleasures, my children. And it's going to hurt. And it may hurt you real bad. But it's, it's for your benefit. And it's not for 
It's not for your bad. Okay, so Paul, having addressed both mom and dad, those are for the mom and the dad. He's exhorting, do this and do that. This is how you should think. This is how you should operate. Hey, hey, children, honor your, your mom and dad in this way. So, so after Paul addresses the mom and the dad, he then addresses the father specifically. And this is going to be very important. It's where we're going to kind of camp out and we're going to circle. We're going to hover around verse 4 for largely the remainder of this sermon. So here's what Paul says directly now to the father, the priest of the home in verse 4. Here's, here it is on your screen. Fathers, daddies, priests of the home, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Oh man, this is weighty. Okay, so Paul puts special weight on the fathers. Oh yes, he does. Because even though moms and dads have equal responsibility to raise their kids, it's the father's primary responsibility in leadership to set the trajectory. Because the father is the head of the wife and his children, there's a responsible, needed, appropriate, special weight and a measure of expectation that God puts on the Father. That's what Paul is saying within the specificity of communicating about the fathers and the mothers and then choosing to now focus on the Father. As a matter of fact, check this out, God displays the great importance of the role of fatherhood in the home by doing by deciding, check, track with me, God says this is how important the fatherhood role is. I'm going to share my name with you. Oh, man, that is crazy. God, our Father, shares the same title as you, my brother. He's called Father, and he allowed us to share his name. So to all the fathers that are out there today, we share the same name as our Heavenly Father. That, that must mean something massively important, and it does. We're going to see that. And so so God gives fathers who are sharing his name, oh my goodness, two key, critical, vital instructions for us to follow. Did you notice them in verse 4? There were two key things. Let's, let's talk about those now. Number one, don't provoke your children to wrath. Okay, so in other words, dads, as the leader of your home, don't lead your kids in a manner that sets them up to fail. Don't do that. Don't say things and don't do things that destroy their souls and their identity and their confidence. It means don't crush them and so much more that we're going to get into in just a little bit. Okay, here, here's number two. But do, fathers, train them up in righteousness. This is a direct exhortation from fathers to do this work. Okay, in other words, dads, as the leader of your home, lead your kids in a manner that sets them up to succeed. Say things and and do things that encourage their soul and their identity and their confidence, brothers. Okay, so let's let's talk about the, the first one now a little bit deeper. Let's talk about not provoking our children to wrath. Now, now parenting is a team effort, correct? Are we in agreement? Parenting is most definitely a team effort. Both mom and dad have qualities and ways they can contribute that are different but important for the child to experience. But let me be very clear. Moms and dads are different. 
Yes, they are. The impact of a dad is different, period. That's why Paul took time to address the dad alone in verse 4. You can't run away from that. He's already addressed mom and dad together as a glad unit, and then he took it a step further and chose to address the dad alone. This is what I'm trying to get you to see today, fathers, okay? Now, now, and, I, and I'd say this much, brace for impact, brace for impact. The most important person in a kid's life is their fathers, period. It's the most important person. Hey, the most important person in your life is also your father. Parents, grandparents, whoever's listening, the most important person in your life is your father. Now, now, before you go shaking your fists and throwing things at me, I want you to track with me for a couple moments so I can kind of help you to see why this is, this is radically true. You see, when I made that statement that dads are the most important person in your life, every single person listening had a visceral response to that statement, didn't you? you some of you had a positive response, and you were in agreement with it. You just were. You're like, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Some of you had a neutral response to this statement, and you're just kind of indifferent towards me saying that fathers are the most important person in our lives. And some of you, some of you had a negative a negative response of disapproval to my statement, and you're, you're a little bit upset about that right now. Okay, you see, for those who had amazing, godly as a condition, godly, spirit-filled fathers, you were flooded with great emotions when I said that, right? Your, your heart softened, and your, your mind went back to memories, and you were filled with the warmth, and you're like, this is so true. Pastor Brandon is so right about my spirit-filled dad. And yet others of you who did not have a great experience with their fathers, you, your heart was, was flooded with, with difficult emotions, right? <laughs> with anger or, or bitterness or sadness started to germinate when I said that. I'm like, don't ever say that. Don't ever dishonor everything that I, my mom did. You know nothing about my, my circumstance. And yet there's others who had a, a neutral response to that statement because perhaps you enjoyed both your mom and dad and they both were, were godly, but they really didn't have a unique difference in how they were parenting and leading you. And so you can't really discern and track with this statement or, or maybe both your parents really failed you and the whole thing, you're just, you're just numb to it. And so if there, there's, there's, I, I'm acknowledging there's difficulty to track with me depending on what you've, what you've been through. I'm acknowledging that. Pastor Brent's hand up. I get it. I get it. But let me be very clear. None of our reactions, none of our reactions, whether it's good, whether it's bad, or whether it's neutral, none of our personal experiences changes the radical fact that fathers are the most important people in our lives, folks. And this is true even if you didn't have a dad at all. And even if you didn't have a good dad, because his absence, for whatever reasons, led you down a specific course of difficulty that would not have been there had he stepped up to the plate and operated with godly strength and integrity for you and your family. Or your specific course of difficulty that you went through would have not been there if, he, if your dad didn't experience that tragedy that ultimately maybe took his life and something that wasn't your dad's fault. But you had a course of difficulty 
because he was not able to be there for you. Yet, yet on the flip side, I want you to know that if your dad was present and activated and spirit-filled and he was leading your family as the priest of your home, he's probably impacted your life in ripple effects that are going to carry into your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, 70s, and 80s in ways that you're never fully going to realize. And if you grew up with a mom and a dad who were both spirit-filled, please understand that behind the scenes, that spirit-filled dad who was being a priest, he was doing things that you're never probably going to recognize that were spurring your mom on, encouraging her and, and strengthening her as he was washing her with the rhema and, the, and, and then she's coming out and she's leading and she's vibrant. He was doing so many things. Just ask your spirit-filled mom. She'll She'll tell you. But, but here's the thing. Dads aren't the most important people in our lives because they have more value or, or dignity or, or worth or ability. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Instead, they're the most important person by mere design but because of the author, namely God, and the authority that he's given them. Oh, man. So because fathers have primary authority, they have primary influence. Let me say that again. Dads are not the most important person because they have more dignity, value, worth, or ability, but because by the mere design of God, they've been given more authority, which means they have more ability to influence you and me. Are you tracking? You see, the Barna Group did an incredibly sobering study that objectively showed details of the impact on the father to the family unit and how really nothing comes close at all to the father's influence over the home. And if you don't know, the Barna Group is a evangelical Christian polling firm and agency that provides customers who are usually spiritual teachers and pastors and leaders and those in the spiritual realm with very objective, critical statistics so that we can continue to lead and pastor in a culture that's gone kind of crazy and so we can understand the cultural climate. And this study showed that when, are you ready for this? And this study showed that teenagers who make their decision in Christ, they say, yes, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap out, I'm going to look up, and I'm going to link in. Teenagers who do that, that are coming from an unbelieving household, they have a 10 to 20% chance of bringing the rest of their unbelieving home into a saving relationship with, with Christ. Are you with me? 10 to 20%. Is what the study shows. So when that teenager says yes to God and they go home and they try to be an ambassador to their unbelieving household, 10 to 20% of the time they find success. Now watch this. Barnard Group study shows this. And when the mom makes her decision in Christ and she's living in an unbelieving household, she has a 40 to a 50% chance of bringing her whole home into a saving relationship with the God of the universe. Now, now do you see the big difference? The teenager had a 10 to 20% chance, and the mom had a 40 to 50% chance. What's, what's going on in that discrepancy? It's very clear. The mom has more authority and ability to influence. Are you still tracking with me? Now, get ready, because this is going to be staggering. Okay, this study was done with over 100,000 candidates in this. Uh, this is a very, very objective, legit study. Here we go. 
But when the Father makes his decision in Christ, and he comes from an unbelieving household, when the Father taps out and says, I'm not going to do it my way anymore, he looks up, he says, God, I want to do it your way, and he links in to the Holy Spirit, and he goes home to his unbelieving house of children and wife. He has a 70 to 93% chance that he's going to bring his whole home into a right relationship with the God of the universe. Folks, do you, these stats are clear. The father is the most important, influential person in the family unit. Are you tracking with me? When a father says yes, it almost automatically guarantees the family is going to come into a right relationship. 70 to 90 percent. So, so if we want our church to grow here at RCC, men, we need to grow because where men grow, churches grow. Excuse me, where, where men grow, families grow. And where families grow, churches grow. So, so because all this is true, God doesn't sit back, sitting back and chilling with all us dads and throwing high fives and saying, we share the same title and we're cool. Nope. Instead, he gives dads, Christian, spirit-filled fathers a strong warning in the text that they are not do not provoke your child to rebellion and wrath and failure. Don't do it. Now, now this principle isn't only wise for the dad to follow. No, indeed. This principle is, is good for, for, for moms and grandparents and other authority figures that are in children's lives. We all should get in the game with this. However, I want to be clear. This is a direct command from the God of the universe being delivered through the vessel of the Apostle Paul. And it's a warning to the dad specifically. And he's saying, hey, watch out, fathers. You are the most influential person in your child's life. Don't be an idiot and screw this up. Don't you dare do that. Okay, now here's some more important stats from this Barna Group study. And this study is really staggering and it's really disturbing. But we as the people of God, we need to understand this. Here we go. Over 45% of all babies born in 2021 will be born to fatherless homes. 45%. Folks, that means almost every other home has no dad in it now. This, this is an epidemic. This, this, this is a problem. And this stat is revealing that fathers are already provoking their children to wrath and anger and bitterness before they're even able to be one years old by the mere virtue that they're absent and disengaged from their lives at the point of birth. Come on, why are we acting like this, man? We got to stop it. And let me tell you why this is so devastating. We're just, we're just, we're just getting started here. 41 million children right now are being raised in fatherless homes in America. 41 million. Which means there's 41 million kids that are going to go to bed tonight without their dad. That, that is not okay. And the ripple effects are even more staggering. Let's, let's keep going. Fatherless homes are 44% more likely to produce children that go on to live in poverty. 44%. That's almost half. That means every other household has unnecessary hardship and trials because of absentee fathers. This, this breaks my heart. 90%. Folks, these stats are available. 90% of homelessness and runaway children came from fatherless homes. 
90%? Are you kidding me? Folks, that basically means that people who are homeless virtually have a direct correlation to not having a dad in their home. So the next time you go downtown in Portland, the next time you go to a gospel center rescue mission and you see the hundreds of people there, 90% of them had no dad at home when they grew up. Come on, folks. Okay, here we go. Ready? Children from fatherless homes in this study are 10 times more likely to abuse drugs and or alcohol. Oh, man. And 80% of adolescents who are currently in mental institutions came from fatherless homes. Family and friends, these numbers are real. And by the way, this Barnard Group study, even though it's a Christian-based firm, has been accepted nationally by the government, and they also use the Barnard Group stats. This, 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 is, so, this, this is so, so important. 80% of people in mental institutions had no father in their home. These are not accidental correlations. Here we go. Children from fatherless homes are three times as likely to kill themselves via suicide as opposed to children who came from a father and a mother in their home. Or even, the study says, if they had just a father and no mother. Wow. Can't you see? The absence of the father, the impact is devastating on the home. He's the most important figure in the home. I'm not done. I am not done. Fatherless homes have been traced to children who express more physical pain in their bodies and frequent trips to the doctor for anxiety, asthma, and speech defects. Directly, I'm just reading, directly associated with psychological clinical diagnoses of complex identity syndromes. Are you kidding me? Teens from fatherless homes are nine times more likely to drop out of high school. <laughs> are you tracking with these stats? Can you see now? Fathers, brother, you are the most important person in your family's life. You make the greatest impact, whether it's positive or negative. And folks, the people of God, we need to lift up this banner about the reality of the Father's importance, and it should be our Christ-heralded message to a culture gone crazy that is desperately trying to create ways to fill this Father void. Listen, our culture is constantly trying to fill this Father void, and they don't even know that they are. RCC, while TV shows and, and movies continue to produce messages and images that say that we can move on without the dads, the world, we, we as the church, we have to have a unified front on this biblical truth so that we can combat the lie and the darkness and the enemy that says that dads don't matter. Dads, you matter. You radically matter. Did you know that when you watch the average TV sitcom, the dad is never the hero? He's never the hero that saves the day. Nope. It's always the family, the child, the teenager, or the mom. The dad is always depicted as a goofball, non-present, aloof, uh, stupid, things like that. And it's always the kid or the mom or someone else that's the sounding board or the, the wise person. It's, it's, it's always happening. Think about The Simpsons. Think about uh, Family Guy. Think about Two and a Half Men. And even think about Disney channels that are supposed to be all okay, like this show, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. You know that one with the twin boys, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. 
all these shows are promoting that the dads are a zero and the mom and the children are the hero. You can't say that about Sweet Life and Jack and Cody. It's such a good show. And it constantly promotes the dad is absence and they make the dad a zero. Can you see this? The culture is, is permeating this, this message. It's, it's happening. But here's the thing. There's an all-out spiritual galactic battle going on, and, it's, and, it's, and, and, and the ruler and the reigner of this planned attack is Satan, and he's coming with a nuclear weapon aimed at the father, the captain of the home, and its purpose is to take the father out. And folks, the stats are showing that it's working. And if Satan keeps demasculizing fathers and removing their influence from the home, he's going to continue to win more and more generations back to himself. And we don't want that, right? We don't want that. So, so, so fathers, Paul is saying to you and to me, you can't provoke your child to wrath or failure because too much is at stake, my brothers. Look at the stats. So fathers, who are we then to be? Fathers, you are called to accept the special weight God places upon your life as a key influencer and authority figure over your children always remembering we have the great honor of sharing the same name, Father, as God himself. Therefore, we should work hard not to create failure in our children and instead seek to bring success to their lives. This, this is God's design. Now, I don't know about what some of you are feeling right now in, in today's sermon. Perhaps, perhaps you don't like it, or perhaps you're still kind of resistant to the reality that fathers are indeed the most influential and important people in our lives because of the responsibility and the leadership given to them by God. And I don't know where you're at, but I do know that Scripture is making it clear, folks, and so does this Barna Group study. It's, it's very very clear. In fact, I need us to really experience God's word today. I just need that to happen. Holy Spirit, we need you today. And we need to really see the important weight that you're putting on the Father. So let's do this. We're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to get interactive, and I need, I need us to do this as a, as a submitting church, a spirit-filled church. We're going to do this. Okay, if you're a dad right now, and you are watching this sermon, I want you to stand up right now. Do it. Wherever you're at, on the couch, in the kitchen, wherever you're at, I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to stand up right now if you're a dad. Stand up in attention. I don't care what you're doing. Come on. I, I, I got two kids. I'm a dad, and I'm standing up. I need you to join me right now. Okay. Number two, if you are 18 years or older right now, and you're a male, 18 years and older, you're a young man, and you plan on being a dad one day, and you think that's in your future, I want you to lean in wherever you're sitting. Lean in. Uh, Get your back off the couch, off your chair. Nothing touches your back. Put your elbows on your, on your knees. Lean forward, literally. Posture your body forward, and I want you to listen very intently. Come on, 18-year-olds, 18 years old and over who don't, have, who don't have kids yet, but you want to, lean forward, okay? 
All right. If you're a little boy right now, between the ages of eight and 18, you're 18, you're 13, you're 15, I want you to sit on the floor. Come on, leave your chair, leave your couch, get, get on the floor, and I want you to sit on your knees, sit on your butt, and I want you to demonstrate this, this submissive listening posture that we see that Jesus had. Jesus did this when he was 12 years old and he was in the synagogue. Go look at the Gospels. Get on the floor. Come on, young people, do it. Get on the floor. I want you to sit down in this submitting posture, and I want you to look up at the screen as, as we go through this, okay? So everybody's doing that, right? So, so everybody has their marching orders. Here we go. Okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here, everyone, with your mind so clear. Okay, dads, 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 listen up, lean in. Because I'm primarily talking to you, dads. Future dads, they're, they're leaning in. Little boys are learning right now. But make no mistake, I'm talking to you, dad, who's standing in attention. This is a one-way one conversation. The role of fatherhood that is given to me and you by God is very serious. It is a very serious reality. God has anointed you and me, and he's called us to share and to bear the same name, namely being called fathers to people. And that's very, very serious. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to be radically honest from your heart. Don't you dare lie to yourself. Be truthful to yourself. Dads who are standing in attention. Okay, here, here we go. Are you a good dad? Or are you a bad dad? Answer that question in your heart. This is not allowed for your kids and your wife. Are you a good dad or are you a bad dad? What do you believe? Are you taking responsibility right now for your family in the spiritual realm, raising your wife and your children, and you are the spiritual leader in your home, my brother, or are you abdicating that out to someone else? Is your wife leading your kids in the word? Is your youth pastor doing it, or are you the spiritual leader that God calls you to be in Scripture. Hey, 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 brother, what would your children say if I asked them who the spiritual leader is in their home? If I came up to your child and said, who teaches you the Bible the most in your house? Who teaches you things you never that you never knew about the Bible in your home? Would they say their mom or would they say you, my brother, as their dad? Hey, would your children, hey, lock in with me, brothers, would your children consider you a burden or a blessing in their life? And if I took your child away from you and we met and I, and I could promise them that you wouldn't hear their answer, would they tell me that you are a blessing or a problem in their life? Hey, brother, is your wife glad that you are her husband or does she regret having you? As a spouse, I want you to answer that question. What would your wife say in private if she knew that no one would ever hear and it wouldn't get back to you regarding that, that question? Hey, hey, fathers, keep leaning in. You're standing in attention. Will your sons marry one day? You think they will? And do you believe that your son is going to want to lead their family the way you did? If I come up to your 12 and 13 year old son, I say, hey, 
Do you want to lead your family like your dad? Is he going to say, I want to lead my family just like my dad? Or is he going to say, I don't want to, I want my family to be so much different than my dad? What do you think he's going to say? Hey, do you think your daughter is going to marry someone one day? Okay. When your daughter pursues a husband, is she going to say, I want the qualities that my dad has in my husband? Or is she looking for the opposite of you, brother? Is she looking for the opposite of you? Or is she looking for the same thing that's in you? Okay, I'm going to get more intimate. Let's stay truthful in your heart. If I interviewed your son today, would he tell me that he wants to grow up and be just like you? Or would he say he wants to be the opposite of you? And, and, and if your son says he wants to be just like you, would he say anything to do with spiritual realities? Or will it be, I want to be just like my dad, the construction worker. I want to be just like my dad, the carpenter. I want to be just like my dad, the school teacher. Would he say anything that shows the fruit that you've impacted him spiritually? Would he say it? Hey, brother, have you fallen for the lie, the common lie, that you, because you provide money to your family, it's your wife's primary responsibility to take care of raising your children? Have you fallen for that lie? Because let me tell you the truth, that belief is unbiblical. You know, you, well, I'm the one that brings in the money, and I did that so that my wife could stay home and excuse me. That is a right and true thing you're doing, but it does not remove your God-given responsibility to be the spiritual leader in your home and to make and to carve out time. So, my dear brother, work hard at home. Ask the Holy Spirit for more power because when you come home, your second job begins, and it's your most important job, and it's to lead your wife and your family unto the Lord. It's not your wife's responsibility. I'm not done. Hey, truthfully, how much time have you already wasted not being the God-given priest of your home spiritually that he's called you to be? Months or years, my brothers? Hey, right now where you're standing, right now where you're standing, are you feeling encouraged by everything that I'm saying because you know that you're assuming that spiritual responsibility and so you're being affirmed right now? Or are you feeling condemnation and, and maybe some regret and shame or maybe anger or, 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 or hostility towards what I'm saying because you know you've been absent and you haven't done the real work of fatherhood that goes beyond just bringing a paycheck home and waiting to do your wife's to-do list. You have not been called to just go to work, go home, and your wife to treat you like you're another one of her children saying, will you please do these five things? Will you please go do the trash? Will you please? You're not her child. You're her spouse. Hello. This is important. Hey, hey, brothers, standing up. Are you focusing radically on the questions that I'm presenting to you? Or are you distracted because you're having another dialogue internally that's saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a daddy and no one taught me this. What are you doing? Are you focusing or are you distracted? Are you discouraged right now and are you feeling overwhelmed at this portion of the sermon? Okay, now I'm going to ask everybody to sit back down now. Everybody sit back down. Fathers who are standing are going to sit back down. Uh, uh, young men, don't have to lean forward. Children, get back in your chairs. Here's the thing. I really hope and I pray that every father listening today was modeling obedience when I spoke as your lead pastor and I asked you to stand and attention. This submission to one another thing scripture is talking about, my brothers, it needs to start with you. 
you got to be submitting to someone. you got to be able to listen. you got to listen. And I, and I didn't come to embarrass you if you didn't choose to stand. I wasn't trying to embarrass you in front of your family, no. But I did come to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 that Pastor Jack just talked about, ironing, sharpening iron, to reveal to you that there may be parts of your heart that have a lack of submission and willingness to submit going on inside of you. So I, I really do pray that your wife and children got to see you respond to me as your authority figure, as your pastor in your life, and that you were quick to stand up and that you did not delay and that you modeled that safe obedience because that's where it starts, my brothers. It starts with me and it starts with you in learning how to submit as well, because it's in this submission safety zone that God has designed for us that we learn what, the, what we need to do as spiritual fathers. We, we learn that from a posture of, of submission. But if you're not submitting to anyone, my brother, who's discipling you? Who's disciplining you? Hey, your wife has not been called to submit to you as you submit to no one. That is not the deal. Do you hear me? She has not been called to do that. Because it's, it's really easy for you as a man with all your authority to go to work and to mow the lawn and to paint the house. But it's really hard to come home and to submit to the Lord as you lead your family and devotions and you steward your children's heart and you talk to your wife's soul to do all that, right? The first one you could do in your own strength. The second one requires you to be spirit-filled. Well, my brother, it requires your wife to be spirit-filled to submit to a earthly man filled with sin. So you most definitely have to get in the game and do the spirit-filled hard work that God's calling you to do. Fathers, that's exactly what God is calling you to do with your children, namely to be a spiritual leader. It's your primary role, and it's not just your wife's. Your wife is following you in that role. You are the spiritual nurturer, and it's important for you to lean into that to your tender and your fragile age children. This is true when they're five years old, when they're 15, and when they're 18. All those years, they are fragile and in need of a strong, godly, biblically focused male presence in their home to take care of their souls. And so, so with that being said, I want to leave you with six wise, biblical, pastoral warnings that I've put together. I, I, I sat and I sat on my porch. I haven't sat in a long time. Weather's changing. Sitting on my porch and I got to just camp out and think about what are six definable pastoral warnings I can give to every father that's listening today uh, on ways to avoid provoking your children to the type of wrath that leads to those very devastating statistics, okay? So this is especially for the dads. This is what has been constructed for you. Moms and everybody else, lean in. There's fruit for you here, but I'm, but I'm definitely talking to the dads. Now, I can't go too deeply in all of them. I'll camp out on some longer than others, but I'm going to be faithful to them all. Here we go. Number one. Here's my first warning. Dads, be careful not to withdraw more from your children than what you deposit back 
into them. It's, it's just like a bank, folks. You can only make so many withdrawals without a proper and consistent and faithful deposit. Otherwise, your bank account would go into a deficit, wouldn't it? So as you grow up your children and you're correcting them and you're disciplining them and you're instructing them, there's a sense of withdrawing that's happening, right? You're withdrawing from them. Don't do this. And you're correcting them. There's punishments. There's a withdrawal effect that's happening. And so what you as a father, you have to, you got to do this. You have to make sure that you're depositing more in your children than you're withdrawing out of those correction moments. You just have to. You got to over overwhelm them with deposits of grace and mercy and love and instruction that overwhelms and supersedes the withdrawals of correction and discipline. It's, it's very important. And, and, and you've seen this when a dad calls upon his children to correct them, right? Hey, hey, Billy, come here. Don't do this and don't do that. And, and you see the child kind of, their body language goes down and they're a little bit despondent and they're defeated. Yes, yes, dad, I'm, I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do that. We got to discipline our children. We, we're not to spare the rod. It just means that we need to make sure that we're following up before and after and in between with equal faithfulness to build them up. Now, why am I saying this to you, brother? Because men in particular, especially historically, have been great at correcting and really bad at compassionate love. Studies show that boys are more comfortable going to their mom for affections, kisses, and hugs than their dads. What's up with that? In my home, my kids, I kiss my kids all the time, on the cheek, on the, on the forehead. They are constantly being touched by me. you got to do that. It's so, so important. Now, your children, fathers, lean in. Your children, they need that rhema as well that we learned about a few sermons ago. Remember that as you spend time in the Word and you're, you're soaking up Christ, out of that overflow of your time with God, there should be an overflow of encouragement, spirit-filled encouragement, that rhema, that spoken word that you give your children. Overwhelm them and encourage them on a daily basis. Build them up at the faith, identity, and purpose level all the time. No one can do it like you, dad. No one can. So, so, so here's my question. Moms, you can answer this question too, but I'm talking to the dads right now. This is for you. Here's my question to the dads. Dad, Are you spending more time withdrawing from your kids with correction and discipline or neglect, or are you spending more time depositing into your children measures of encouragement as you build up their faith, identity, and calling? Answer that. Write it down. Yes, Pastor Brandon, I'm I'm filling them up more than I'm taking away. And then what would your kids say? Would they agree? My daddy fills me up more than he takes away. What would they say? Now, now, if you're a dad, look at me, look, look up. Now, if you're a dad and you're, and you're looking at me and you're saying, Pastor Brandon, listen, I'm submitting and, I'm, and, I, and I have a humble posture right now in this moment. This, this sermon is weighty, and, but, I'm, but I'm receiving, but I, I honestly don't know where to start. No one ever taught me how to do this. My dad didn't show me and I don't know what to do. Okay, I understand that, brother. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I need you to email me. Yeah, I need you to email me. You flat out need to email me. 
That's your part. You got to do that. You don't have to have it all together, my brother. That's not what I'm saying. I didn't come to put pressure on you wrongly. You don't have to have all the answers and have it all figured out. If you didn't have a a spirit-filled dad to show you the way, it's not your fault. And I'm here with you and I, and I understand your pain and it's not your fault. But my brother, it is most definitely your responsibility now to do something about it. You've got to break the chain, the generational chain of not being spirit filled as a dad. Why do you want to pass that down to your son and your daughter? You've got to stop it. Say, say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can be the stopgap that says no more, Satan, no more. I'm going to be spirit filled. You could do that, but that's going to require you to take a step of courage, to risk your comfort. You got to email me. We're gonna, we can figure this out together. I'll, I'll walk with you personally, or I'll, I'll, I'll match you up with someone that you feel comfortable with that can walk with you through this. But my brother, you got to take a step away from your pride or being embarrassed. Hey, we got to put to death this whole thing about being macho men who can't ask for help. It's so godly and so manly to ask for help. The most godly, manliest man was Jesus. And he said, Lord, I need your help. It's okay to ask for help. Okay, we got to keep tracking. Here's my second pastoral warning to you, my brother, who's a father, so that you don't do the wrong thing with your children. Here it is. Fathers, be careful not to be physically or verbally abusive towards your children. And essentially this means don't be mean and abuse your strength and your authority. Don't do that. Don't be bitter and lacking compassion towards your children. Don't be like that. It means be careful not to be grumpy all the time and someone that they deem difficult to be around. Don't, don't, don't be like that. Avoid making jokes about your kids is what it means to the point where you're hurting their feelings at the identity core level of who they are. I can't stand when I see dads jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing at their parent, at their kids. What are you doing? They don't need that from you. Don't poke and prod your finger at them when you're angry. Don't act like that. Watch your anger outbursts, brothers. Don't threaten your teenage children, no matter how rebellious they are, that if they don't act right, you're going to kick them out of the house. Don't act like that. You hear me? What if your heavenly father threatened to take you away and to throw you out of the kingdom every time you sinned and you had repeated disobedient behavior? Because you do, and I do, so we can't act like that to our teenage 13 and 14-year-old kids. What are you doing? Number three, dads. Be careful not to be emotionally, oh man, don't be emotionally absent. Don't spend all day long fixing and solving everyone else's problems at work to the point where you come home, you have nothing left to give your kids because your kids need you on an emotional level. You can't go, I'm tired, I'm going to my room to sleep. You can't do that. Fathers, you shouldn't be the quietest person in your home. If I come to your home, you should be the loudest person leading and ruling and and, and creating atmospheres in your home. 
Don't sneak away to the couch or your room or your garage or your home office to spend time by yourself when you've been gone all day. Don't do that. I can't tell you how many wives talk to me in confidence about their husbands locking themselves away in their computers, in their man caves, in their garages, isolating themselves from their families for hours upon hours after work. What are you doing, my brothers? Come on, get in the family room. Get downstairs, get in the backyard and dwell with your family. When you don't, you are planting seeds of wrath in your children and those stats become true. You can't act like that. Let's, let's keep going. Number four, fathers, be careful not to criticize or embarrass your kids, particularly in public. Hey, be careful when you say things about your children when you're in public in front of other people. Just be careful. Be mindful. Don't be the dad that puts their children on blast when family friends come over. I can't tell you how embarrassing that is for your children. Don't be the dad that's criticizing and correcting your children in front of all their friends. Their peers and their social awkwardness is a very difficult thing for your 8th grader and your 12th grader. Wait. Have Christ-centered patience and correct them when they get home or wait till they get in the car, but don't embarrass them. You're not showing them that you're high and mighty by walking up and saying, get in the car right now. You're, not, you're embarrassing them. Be careful not to embarrass your children in public. It's, it's very important that you watch that. And when you don't, you're creating permanent wedges between you and your child. And they're going to pull away from you and they're not going to trust you. And you're going to plant the seeds of wrath in their heart. And you don't want that. Let's, let's go to number five. Fathers, be careful not to be a fun-killing, boring, over-serious dad. In other words, don't be a daddy downer, not a Debbie downer, a daddy downer, right? But rather be an initiator of joy and laughter and fun within your home. You should be the fun guy. You, are, you should be the center of fun to your wife and your kids. Listen, brothers, your kids are looking for you to be someone that they can learn fun from. And if they don't find fun with you, they're going to find fun somewhere else. And you don't want that. I'm going to say it again. If you're not fun, they'll find their fun, but they're going to find their fun in the wrong places. Don't lose your privileged position to be fun for your kids. So if you have a daughter, hey, paint your nails with her. Put on a couple costumes. Seriously, it's awesome. I do it all the time. I love it. It, it was so much fun. When Aubrey was five and six, we painted her nails. We had tea parties. It was amazing. Don't be a dad that can't get on your daughter's level. Get on her level. Put on, your, put on the princess crown that she wants you to wear. Have that tea party. Have the time of your life with your daughter. Do the same thing with your son in his interests. Okay, so if you have a dad and you've never had a tea party with your daughter and she loves that kind of stuff, you need to do that this week. Just make it happen. Be obedient. Make it happen now. If you've got a son, go outside. Play what he likes to play. Go have fun. Have the time of your life with them. It's, it's so important. Hey, what about this? Pull your kids out of school. Oh, man, there's nothing better than this. Pull out your 10-year-old out of school, surprise them with your wife, and have the time of your life. Where are we going? Do I have a disappointment? Nope. We came out to have fun today. What? Wow. And they'll think that you're the coolest parent on the planet. And then in the future, when they're 17 and they're dealing with something that's tripping them up and trapping them up, and when they're being wooed by the world for pleasure and for fun, they'll be satisfied saying, my life is fun. That's, that's, that's the real secret. Okay, make great memories, but we got to keep going. Number six, 
dads, be careful not to avoid consist. Uh, excuse me. Be careful not to avoid being consistent and quick in your repentance of your own sin, especially when it's towards and aimed at your children. Know that oftentimes your kids clearly know and they clearly see that you've made a mistake and that you've lost your cool. They, they can see that. So don't be the dad that goes, so what? I'm the dad and it doesn't matter what. You don't tell me. I'm the authority figure. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Don't, don't be like that. Humble yourselves, my brothers. You repent before God, and then you go repent to your children. That's what Paul meant earlier in chapter 5 when it says submit unto one another. There is submission that the parent owes a child in right and true redemptive ways. you got to do that. And moms, you should get in the game on that too. That's not just for dads, okay? And this is one of the hardest things for us to do as parents, isn't it? It's, it's hard. When we raise our voice and when we don't do the right thing, we often lack the humility to come back to our, to our kids and to submit and to apologize and really do that to do that work. But we have to learn that we have to submit to our children and to repent before them when we wrong them. It's, it's very important, dads. So, so when those times come up, um, like when you accuse your child, of something they didn't do, dads. And you lean in and your child's like, I didn't do it. And you get it wrong. And they actually did. And it was the other sibling or some other circumstance. Hey, you don't get to just come and say, oh, sorry, and then move on. You don't get to do that. No, moms and dads, it's a huge, it's a huge deal that you got that wrong. Hey, you just accused your child of something they did not do. Do you understand how serious that is? You overwhelmed them with your authority and your power. You suppressed their cry out that they didn't do anything and you didn't trust them and you got it wrong. Parents, that deserves far more than I'm sorry and a quick apology. Fathers, you have to lead the way and create the right atmosphere in your home when those moments happen. So when something like that happens, it requires you to sit down, pull your son or your daughter, get face to face, have a family meeting and say, hey, hey daughter, grab your daughter's hand, put your, your compassionate hand on your, on your son's shoulder and you say this from your heart. You say, I'm so sorry that daddy got it wrong. You told me several times that you didn't do it and dad didn't trust you. And I'm so sorry that I got it wrong. God is never wrong, but I am not God. And sometimes I get it wrong. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I've done that with my, so with my uh, daughter and my son. Aubrey, I I'm so sorry for what I did. Will, will you forgive dad? Lean in and watch the kind of atmosphere that you create in your home, my brother. And fathers, when we, start, when we start walking aggressively away from provoking our children to wrath in the wrong ways, and we start doing the right things that build them up, Everything gets legit in our home because it sets us up to do verse 4, which is moving the needle towards raising our children through the loving discipline and instruction of God's word in a way that they can receive and not be have an aversion to. They'll lean into you, fathers, and not away from you. Therefore, you should start praying for your children, for them and with them. Pray for their school situations and stop passing it off to their mom. Hey, pray for their friendship problems in fifth grade with your son and daughter. 
pray for their future spouses. Pray for a joy-filled life of singlehood if that's what God's called them to. Pray for it all, but pray with them as well, men. It's not just praying in secret that will impact your kids. It's praying in public where they watch their dad model prayer before them. There's great power when your children walk by your room or walk by you on the couch and they see you just worshiping the God of the universe and closing your hands and praying to your heavenly father. There's, there's great power when your children ask you for a request and you say, you know what, I don't know. Let me, let me pray about it. And then they actually see you be faithful when they walk by your room and you're actually praying, dear God, Lord, I'm trying to do the right thing about my son's college situation. And Lord, would you give our family perspective and direction about what university, when they see you taking your life and your relationship with Christ seriously, the impact is great. Folks, this is some of the basics of fatherhood. This is the basis of what it means to be a glad, biblical, impactful, influential, positive father in your family's life. And it's all about disciplining and training and instructing them up so they could be beautiful, budding flowers in our world and to the world. And they demonstrate where they came from, from a spirit-filled home led by a spirit-filled dad where there wasn't wrath, but there was joy and learning happening. Can't you see how legit that is? Okay, so this is how I want to land the plane. Folks, there's so much more that we could talk about with this parenting things, and maybe one day we'll have the joy of walking through like a family parenting sermon series. But for now, let's land the plane with this final exhortation that I want each of you to consider, okay? Many Christian parents say, I just want to keep my kids from harm. That's my job. Keep them from harm, and their safety is my number one priority above all things. Oftentimes, Christian parents will say things like, the world is really bad, the, the internet is terrible, and I'm going to keep my kids totally protected from everything and all people at all times. You can't do anything. They lock you, their kids up so they can't do anything, especially in very religious Christian homes. And if they say things like this, I've completely locked the door. Please don't ask me for any more when it comes to my kids. We're going to keep our kids completely ignorant to the whole world around them because their innocence and their holiness and their purity is key above all things, right? But do you know what happens to the same uh, naive kids who may be holy in the moment but they're untested and unprepared for the world out here when they leave mom and dad? Okay, eventually those same holy and naive kids who were raised in that kind of Christian home fall away when they enter into the world from God and their parents. You see, your holy, naive kid becomes sinful, unprepared adults that fall for absolutely every single type of distraction and weapon of destruction that this world has to offer. And you don't want that. And yes, the goal is definitely, yes, I understand that you want to raise holy kids, but they should not be naive. They should be holy, not naive. Holy and naive are not the same things, folks. You see, being holy means to be set apart for Christ. That's what the word means. Meaning 
To set them apart means to be spirit-filled, not only being set apart by purity and righteous living and all those things, but spirit-filled set apart also means biblically that they're risk-taking, sacrificially living, money-giving, forgiveness-offering, homeless-assisting, prostitute and widow-helping, cross-bearing, shame-eradicating, hospitality and home-opening individuals. There's two sides to holiness. Being set apart means to be set apart from darkness, but also to be set on a course towards Christ-centered activities as we imitate Christ. Therefore, raising your children to be naive, holy, pure, innocent, non-active, non-risk-taking, biblical children that are really not biblical because they're not doing the work of Christ, that involves danger, is not God's design. Like, can't you see? Your marriage and your family and your children are here on purpose, for a purpose, from the Lord of purpose. Oh, man, I'm going to say it again. Your marriage, your family, and your children are here on purpose, with a radical purpose, from the Lord of purpose. And that purpose is oozing and reigning with eternal implications that flip upside down the why to everything that we do and the why to everything that we are. If you lose sight of eternity, it affects how you think your parenting is not to terminate on self. You're not raising kids just to be okay. You're not raising kids just to be safe. You're you're raising kids to be holy, ambassadors, risk takers, missionary living, going into third world countries countries, risking their lives, doing dangerous things with wisdom for the kingdom. They can't do that if you're not allowing them to be exposed in right ways to the world. And that's why I've been preaching with all my heart about what God is calling us to do in our relationships for husbands and wives to love and respect each other as a way of fulfilling each other's needs. For, for parents to provide the loving and the firm, non-wrath-bearing discipline and instructions needed for children so they can become Christ imitators. That's what they need. For the, for the tetrachus, the, the young, developing young person, to obey and to honor their parents so that you can release pressure off of your mom and dad, which also gives you as the child great potential to do great things and not to be disqualified. Okay, and all of this, what the Tetrakis age children are doing, what the parent is doing, what the husband is doing, what the wife's doing, all of this is so that we can be the moms and the dads and the husbands and the wives and the children and the singles and the widows and the people of God so that we can move on to gospel-centered discipleship and sacrifice for other people and to stop getting tripped up with our own relational problems all the time. We have to be, we cannot be selfish creatures, folks. Christians are not supposed to be selfish people. Christians are not supposed to be self-centered people. Christians aren't supposed to be biologically focused only people. No, we are called to be radical ambassadors of Christ to the whole world. And Jesus clearly came and established these rules and these roles and these responsibilities towards that end. And he did that with a promise that it could be joyful and fun 
but we got to operate in this kind of hierarchy structure that he's created that's infinitely wise. And we are his Imago Dei image bearers to carry out this anthem. We've been given a privileged position, but we can't do that if we can't figure this out in our most intimate relationships between husband and wife, parent to child. We got to get this thing landed. Otherwise, what are we going to do next week when we move on to other relationships like employees and employers and, and all these other things if we can't get it right in our own home? But folks, all of this is radically possible in Christ all of it. Our spiritual families can become more valuable and more lasting with greater depths of relationship and joy than even our most DNA-sharing family member who chooses to not walk with Jesus. And that's because in Christ, we share the deepest DNA with the Father through the Son. That's the deepest DNA you can have. A spiritual brother is the deepest DNA, folks, not biological. And we can find immense satisfaction and pleasure and joy in those realities. We can find deep security in our spiritual family as we pray for our biological families to also join us in our ultimate spiritual family because the ultimate DNA is a spiritual one, not a biological one. And all of this is possible when your spirit filled, fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time. And what a great place for us to pray and to conclude this five-part sermon, really, about husbands and wives and parenting and marriage and family in light of eternity. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to send us out now so we can do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we submit to you today like we never have before. Fathers are submitting, mothers are submitting, husbands are submitting, wives are submitting, and children are submitting. We declare in Jesus' name that your ways are right and our ways are so wrong when they don't accord with your word. Therefore, Holy Spirit, change our vantage point from self-focused realities to eternal realities aimed at forever with Jesus. Help our parenting not to terminate on itself. Help our marriages not to terminate on itself. And most definitely, help our families not to terminate on themselves. But rather, may we all use our spirit-filled positions to practically provide that which we all need from each other so that we can get out of each other's way and onto the mission of Jesus together as great glad family units collective in the great family unit of the body of Christ with God's glory being the target and Jesus' walk being the example that we follow. It's in your beautiful, majestic, wise name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, Redemption City.